This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. All COVID-19 border restrictions in Canada are now officially lifted. And as of today, masking is no longer mandatory on planes and trains in Canada. At the same time, the federal health minister, Jean-Yves Duclos, warned the pandemic is not over and that every day in this country there are between 4,000 and 5,000 people with COVID being treated in hospital. But he also offered optimism in saying if people continue to get their vaccines, the new bivalent shot became available to everyone 18 and older in Canada on Monday, then we can live normally, however cautiously. What do you think? We know Zoomers love to travel. Is now the right time to remove all the COVID restrictions? While filling in for Libby, Jane Brown asked these questions of our Monday Zoomer squad. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Anthony Quinn, Chief Community Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. Minister DeClos' message is the most important thing that our members and listeners should hear, that COVID is not over. It's uh, wonderful news that more and more people will be able to return to what we consider to be a normal lifestyle, but with the fact that our demographic is most susceptible to COVID-19. There were close to 100 deaths in Ontario last week. This is not a time for abandoning all caution, and the message, I think, from the minister is correct. It's time to to remain cautious. And what do you think? Uh, just your personal opinion, uh, or, you know, if you want to reflect what most CARP members are saying about removing these restrictions, it's certainly going to make life more easy. It'll make life easy. With the Arrive Can app, that had scared a lot of our members off of traveling, not familiar with apps and phones. And I think they tended to stay at home rather than fear the potential uh, cost of crossing the border without the Arrive Can app. But that, that might be something that opens up the door to travel for more members. The the response, I think, is it time to travel now? Perhaps. Maybe summer was a better time when there was less COVID in the air. But glad to, to know that restrictions are lifted and more people can travel. Peter, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, Anthony said it right. A lot of, uh, we got a lot of, uh, you know, questions from readers about the Arrive Can app. And, and a lot of, um, you know, they it, it wasn't that they couldn't, download an app they just they it was off-putting you know um the younger generation is much more they see an app no problem the older generation some of them they see an app and you know i can't do that app i'm not going on the trip and and it did happen a lot so so i think that's going to be a big one um you know people can wear masks they can um uh, you know get get the booster while they travel so you know o- older people who are more susceptible should you know, if they feel like wearing a mask, they can wear a mask. But um, you know, you know the 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 whole um, you know the, the today's announcement just just sort of shows that we're returning to normal. Mm-hmm. Travel is going to be better. It's going to be easier. But if you're um, not feeling completely assured, 
wear a mask. And, and I, I don't think our gang will be abandoning masks on planes yeah. and trains. No, and I don't think so either. Confined spaces. There's right. no reason to. Well, John, um, let me put this to you as the pollster in the group. Uh, last week, uh, the idea was floated, and uh, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of backlash among Canadians to remove all the restrictions. No, and I don't think there is at this stage, because I think we've gone through a period of time where the rule now is govern yourself accordingly, whether you're going out to uh, a bricks and mortar store or whether you're traveling somewhere, it's up to the individual now to carry out what they think is appropriate. I, I must say I did do some traveling in the last couple of months. And if no matter where you went, uh, Europe or the United States, the Canadians were the anomaly. We were the only ones kind of lining up and making sure that we had all of these credentials, but nobody else was. I think the 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 other issue though is um and i hate to be politic about it but i mean it is a bit of a branding issue for the liberals the liberals have carried this out much longer than others it was a juxtaposition to the conservatives who wanted uh, a lot of restrictions removed and now with pierre polyev who's being elected as leader this is one block which they've just knocked down so that they can't be compared uh, for those who want freedom. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's a, I do. It's a political thing. So yeah. I, I think it's, you know, we're at the, at the end of the, at the beginning and, uh, of, of what we had. And now we're moving forward. But I think there was some politics involved here as well. I mean, unless there is some epidemic portion which rises up again, the real issue for Canadians will be whether or not they can gain access to their own community hospitals and whether they can get, you know, the appropriate treatment. That seems to be the measure that we're going to have to take into account. If you can't get into a hospital when you need it, if you can't get into a, um, uh, you know, an ICU when you require it, then there may have to be other impositions put in place. But until that time happens, it's going to be up to you and I and everybody else to govern themselves accordingly. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Peter Muggeridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Anthony Quinn, Chief Community Officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. On Monday, we also address the aftermath of post-tropical storm Fiona in Atlantic Canada. Residents of Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland, along with those who live on Quebec's Magdalen Islands, will be living with the after-effects of Fiona for a while yet, as the cleanup continues. Joining Jane on Monday to talk about this historic weather event, Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist at Environment Canada. Fiona has been in the news around the world uh, on the weekend and now, but you know Wednesday it will be uh, it will be forgotten in terms of the media, I guess. But in fact, the cleanup, the suffering that that goes on for weeks, if not months, will will still be present. And that's often what you see with weather disasters. They hey, they, there's a lot of adrenaline rush at the beginning, and then after that. Uh, it's a reality check that, uh, wow, you've got to get your life back together and and you need all the help you can get. Right. Uh, What are your thoughts uh, looking back over the last uh, few days on the way Fiona played out from when we first saw it brewing and was doing damage uh, to the Dominican and other Caribbean nations and, and how it came to fruition in Atlantic Canada? Well, Jane, a couple of things that, first of all, had been a very quiet, uh, hurricane season. I mean, I don't think we saw any uh, hurricanes, named hurricanes or storms uh, from July 1st to the end of August. That is the only time that's ever happened back in 1941. So everybody was kind of lulled into thinking, oh my gosh, this was going to be the year without hurricanes. 
And then, oh my gosh, uh, they, um, then they came. And I think what surprised me in some ways was that how this storm followed a script. I mean, it was, you know, you, you just saw, uh, people saw this thing. They saw the whites of the eye before, before it even arrived because of the, here was the track it was going to take. This is how it was going to unfold. Mm-hmm. What were the rains going to be? The surf, the rip currents, the, the tides, all of this was, it was almost getting the, the, the story before it was, um, before it unfolded. Well, what and, does that say about forecasting for hurricanes? Has it become sophisticated to the point where four and five days ahead of time, you know, when it's going to hit and and how hard? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're always that perfect. They're always not uh, as good as this one. This will go down in the uh, weather uh, uh, annals as probably one of the best uh, uh, storms that followed it. And and but you know we're getting better at it. I mean, the science uh, we can see these things. You know, I remember at one time before satellites, you didn't even know whether a hurricane was out there unless it sank a ship or made landfall. Now the oceans can't burp without us knowing about it, Jane. <laughs> yeah, and so we true. see these things coming. Now, I think what surprised me was that the fact that it stayed together. One of the things that happens to, to storms, hurricanes in Canada, is they hit and run. They don't stand around and clobber you like they do in other parts of the world. They, they just move on. They're, they're, they're tired. They want to die up into the graveyard in the Atlantic way up there near, near Iceland. And so they really go fast. They don't sort of stand around and torment you like it does in other areas. And then the other thing I think that really stood out to me was the, the speed, the fact that it slowed down. What that meant, Jane, was that the winds over 100 kilometers per hour, and we saw winds over land that were up to about 180 kilometers per hour. And so these often will just be a quick one, you know, a, a, a gust, and then it, it begins to peter out. These winds stayed above 100 kilometers per hour for 6 to 8 to 10 to 12 hours. Can you imagine what effect that would have on a tree? A tree gets that first gust, and oh, it begins to creak and, and, and kind of rip. A couple of roots kind of get dislodged, and, and then it sort of it settles down. But if it goes for, for 12 hours, my gosh, that thing has no, no chance of surviving. And it's yanked out right by the root ball and goes against a car or a building or or something like this or power lines. And and that's why we're seeing such an impact from power losses. 600,000 people lost power during the peak of the storm. And so I think those those are aspects that made this one sort of unique, historic, a landmark kind of storm for us here in um, uh, in Canada. Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist at Environment Canada, in conversation with Jane Brown on Monday. You're listening to The Best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. Coming up after the break, what's with the empty shelves at some pharmacies and when will they be stocked up again? We'll find out next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. You've likely noticed some of the shelves in your local pharmacies are not well stocked. According to the Ontario Pharmacists Association, Tylenol and Advil for children, both in liquid and chewable forms, are currently under a significant shortage. Justin Bates is president of the Ontario Pharmacists Association and joined Jane to talk about the shortage, as well as the bivalent COVID vaccine shortage, which is now available for all adults in Ontario. Jane first asked why we're experiencing this shortage. This is not a supply interruption per se or anything to do with 
complexity of the global supply chain or any challenges therein. What this is a result of is unprecedented demand during the summer months, which is atypical. So what manufacturers do of these products is they look over the four seasons and they look at consumption patterns and they align their production facilities and capacity with what you would typically see. But unfortunately, this summer, what we saw was a lot of people going out uh, for the first time in, in a couple of years, maskless, uh, getting together in groups, indoors and outdoors. And we saw a lot more children and adults um, either get COVID or have respiratory illnesses that resulted in fever, which you know put a strain uh, and increased the demand on these products. So, so the result if, is yes, a shortage. Effectively, COVID caused the shortage. In part, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we would typically see these demand patterns in the fall, respiratory mm-hmm. season, um, but we saw them early, which uh, takes time for the manufacturers to catch up. It's not something they can turn around overnight uh, in terms of increasing their production capacity. I mentioned Tylenol and Advil for children, but there are other um, cough remedies or in the cold aisle uh, where we're also seeing some shortages, Yes. That's right. Along the same lines uh, that we just talked about, uh, the increase in demand has put that um, strain on the supply chain. Now, although there still is uh, in tablet form uh, in many locations availability of the uh, child, uh, the uh, Tylenol and Advil, and there are options for parents uh, for children. And what we would recommend is talk to your pharmacist about potentially splitting the tablet and the adult formulation and uh, based on the weight and, and age of the child. And either they can swallow the, the half fill or you can crush it up and put it into things like applesauce uh, to make it more digestible. Right. So what are pharmacists, individual pharmacists, doing to prevent stockpiling? I mean, we saw that happen in COVID with uh, toilet paper, bottled water, uh, wipes, all of that kind of stuff. It's It's sort of part of the human condition, isn't it? It is, and we did see some hoarding, and unfortunately, we're seeing some individuals, not many, but there are some that are going on social media and other channels and reselling products that they uh, bought uh, earlier in the summer and doing so at a much higher price. And and what I would recommend to parents is always check uh, the seal to make sure it hasn't been broken and validate the expiration date. But it is unfortunate we've seen some of that. So one of the instruments we have uh, to protect against uh, panic buying or hoarding is that once the stores become replenished, you can place the products behind the counter, which would require a parent or individual to speak to the pharmacist to access it and limit it to either one bottle or one package per mm-hmm. uh, patient. Um, and that will help uh, ration it, if you will, um, when we see it come back. Let's talk about, uh, Justin, the bivalent vaccine rollout. How are pharmacies handling this phase of the vaccine? Well, it's a well-oiled machine now. So although we have uh, this uh, relatively new vaccine, bivalent, that allows us to have a more targeted vaccine towards the E1 variant uh, as well as the uh, original variant, and it's showing very good efficacy against the B4 and B5 variant of Omicron, um, we, we're ready. I mean, we have uh, definitely, from a supply chain to operationalizing this in the pharmacies, uh, have learned a lot over the last uh, two years of the vaccine rollout. But demand is quite low for the boosters compared to the primary series. Mm-hmm. What we've seen is roughly 30% of eligible individuals uh, receive a booster. So we're continuing with the public health messaging 
underscoring the importance of vaccinations, a lot of education about you know how they're effective and how they work, uh, and hopefully we'll see an increase now with this uh, vaccine. Justin Bates, president of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. This is Zoomer Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. What to do after family doctors in this province left the profession at the start of the pandemic at double the rate of the years before. New research from Unity Health Toronto indicates about 3% or nearly 400 family doctors across the province stopped practicing as 170,000 patients lost their primary care physician. Lead researcher Dr. Tara Kieran, who practices family medicine at St. Michael's Hospital, joined Jane, along with Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth, an Ottawa-based family physician and a medical anthropologist, and Dr. Nadia Ullam, family doctor from Georgetown. So we found that in the first six months of the pandemic, about uh, 385 family doctors stopped work entirely, um, which was about 3% or double what we would have expected based on the average portion of family doctors who stopped work in the previous years. Uh, So the previous years, it was about 1.6% on average per year. And during that first pandemic year, it was 3%. So really, uh, you know, quite a lot more and really worrying given that so many people already didn't have a family doctor. Why are doctors leaving the profession? I'm sure it's a combination of things, including retirement, right? Yeah, so our findings, you know, uh, suggest that the pandemic may have accelerated the retirement plans of some. Um, we found that of the 385 doctors who stopped work, more of them were over 65. Um, more of them had a smaller panel size. Um, and th- so those are, you know, indications that these were people who were probably heading into retirement, um, that they um, were maybe even cutting back already. But then the pandemic began and um, they said, you know, it's time for me to just stop. We did find that family doctors who work fee-for-service were more likely to stop work. And when you work fee-for-service, you basically get paid for every visit. And what we know happened in the first six months of the pandemic is that visits really plummeted because people were told very legitimately, again, don't go see your family doctor unless it's something really urgent. And, And that made sense. Um, but it also, you know, at the same time, there weren't adequate income supports available for family doctors. And so when the visit stopped, their income went down. At the same time, they had to pay their staff. They had to pay their rent. They actually had to pay more for enhanced infection prevention and control measures. And then they had to pay for personal protective equipment, which was also actually really hard to find. In addition to it being expensive, it was hard to find. So lots of stresses on family doctors who we have to remember are largely small business owners in Ontario. Dr. Kaplan-Murth, does this report that we've been hearing about uh, from Dr. Kieran, does it resonate with you personally? It does and it doesn't. And I think that there's a part of it that is missing, part of the picture is there that fee-for-service um, has been a problem for family physicians um, for a long time. But there are structural problems that aren't um, discussed. And one of the things is the Ontario Medical Association has not gone to bat for family doctors. So at the beginning of the pandemic, specialists got, um, got uh, income stabilization and family doctors did not. This means these are people mid-career. These are not people about to retire. This is not a matter of recruiting new doctors. These are doctors who are hardworking, who are caring for vulnerable populations. Some of my patients, or sorry, some of my colleagues provide all the mental health care to their patients that they can get because there are no psychiatrists available. 
Um, we're the ones who are asked to keep our patients out of hospital because the emergency rooms are overrun, and yet there is no support for us. Okay, let so, me go over to Dr. Yeah. Alam. Uh, uh, Dr. Alam, how do you see the situation where family doctors are leaving uh, in tandem with what Dr. Kaplan-Murth is also expressing? I think the report that Dr. Karen um, was one of the authors for bears out what many of us on the front lines are seeing. We know the pandemic hit family medicine pretty hard. We also know that pre-pandemic, even before the pandemic started, family medicine was becoming a tough field, not just because fewer people were going into it, but the ones who were in it were burning out because they don't have adequate support and it goes beyond finances. We saw it coming. This research bears it out. And my worry is that it's going to get worse before it gets better because it takes a long time to train a family doctor and let them work in the community. And we need solutions now. I mean, Jane, I've got patients who come to see me from Barrie, from Windsor, and they realize this is not an ideal situation. They do it because they cannot find a family doctor for trying in those areas. Dr. Nadia Alam, family doctor in Georgetown, Dr. Neely Kaplan-Murth, an Ottawa-based family physician and a medical anthropologist, and Dr. Tara Kieran, who practices family medicine at St. Michael's Hospital. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best to Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Brian and Callanan shared his family physician story. My uh, doctor, he retired in June. He's in his mid-80s and that, so on the weekend... On Sunday, I end up with a wasp bite on my forehead. I phoned his office because his daughter's a doctor with him, and she's not taking on any of his patients. So now I'm going to have to look for a doctor. But the one thing, I went to three walk-in clinics last night, and all of them said to me, oh, you got to call and make an appointment. And I said, this is a walk-in clinic. But, you know, I'm in the same situation. i got to look for a doctor now. Lynn in Stony Creek is lucky but called in to say how a friend was not. I have a doctor, but my girlfriend does not. And apparently he lost his license. No one was no one was notified. And all the patients were left without a doc. That's that's right. And my girlfriend has a lot of problems. And she her only other thing is to go to a walk in, but that doesn't do any good. Mary in Mississauga will miss hers. I'm a retired registered nurse of 46 years, active bedside nursing, and had a wonderful family doctor for the last 35 years who not only did family medicine, he did obstetrics as well as eMERGE on the weekend. When he told us he was retiring, I was just so happy for him because he certainly deserved it. We lucked out when we got uh, this particular doctor, and uh, I just wish him the best. Jim in Niagara called to say grocery store prices cannot be justified. I was buying this copy-rich creamer. It was $1.99. And that was up like 80%. 
and I could see up the guy, the truck drivers bring in one container to me. I could see the cost. But these grocery stores are just chalking this stuff up and blaming everybody else, and they're making profits hand over fist. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Kathy in Burlington, whose family doctor proved to be a lifesaver. I have a family doctor who's been wonderful, um, but I had a medical problem and I needed to go back to a specialist. I called the specialist because I've been there a year previous, but you have to have, you have to see the, the doctor, the specialist within a year, otherwise you need another referral. Anyway, I couldn't get through to her. Her mailbox was full. I called every day, never got a return call. I finally found, uh, called my family doctor. She called her directly. I got in to see her within a week. Turns out I had cancer and had to go to the Dravinsky. Now, if it hadn't been for my family doctor, I don't know how long I would have waited. And maybe by that time it would have spread. Luckily, they got it in time and I'm fine. But I just wanted to say my family doctor is wonderful. And I don't know what we do without her. We're both, my husband and I are both seniors. So where where do we go now? Where do we find another doctor? She retires and she's getting to that age that she's probably thinking about it. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby, and call our Fightback voicemail anytime, 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.